And uh, we're just blessed to be in this time of the year. As Father, uh, right now, tonight, what we want to do is we want to focus on a Bible study. And um, we don't come here just to, to hear the wisdom of man or opinions or those kinds of things. We want to, Lord, get into the truth of your word. And there are things that are here written uh, 2,600 years ago that, that are true for us today because your word is truth. And all of Scripture is inspired. God breathed. And even though this world will pass away, because this world is not our hope, your word will never pass away. And every dot and tittle will be fulfilled. So I thank you that we're here being able to go over uh, these words that Isaiah wrote, words that come from you. And there's something for us to, to take away, to cause us to to really stop and, and realize how blessed we are because of your faithfulness and working in our lives. So we give this time the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in Isaiah chapter 8, as we're going to start looking at it, it really is a continuation of chapter 7. And you recall that in chapter 7, here comes Isaiah. He's told by the Lord to go and meet Ahaz, who is the king of Judah at that time. And as we discussed last time, that Ahaz, as you read about how he ruled in, there in 1 Kings, or actually 2 Kings chapter 16, and also 2 Chronicles chapter 26, that he was a terrible king. He was awful. He had plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic kinds of practices. It was during the time of Ahaz, as he reigned for 16 years on the throne there in Jerusalem, that they were burning their children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. That's how bad and dark it was. And Ahaz, he, he was able to, to really uh, plunge the nation deep into idol worship and false worship and occultic kinds of practices because the two kings before him, Jothan, who ruled for 16 years, and then Uzziah, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah says, I, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he would hear a voice of the Lord saying, who shall go for us? And, and he said, here I am. And so it was Isaiah or, um, that would begin his ministry at that time, at the end of the reign of Uzziah. He reigned for 52 years, and even though Uzziah and Jotham, as they reigned a combined 68 years, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Matter of fact, we discussed how Uzziah was one that really strengthened the nation. He, he fortified the cities. He brought economic prosperity. And uh, agriculturally, the, the, the land was uh, prosperous. Uh, militarily, they were strong. He had a standing army of over 300,000 men. He, he built towers. He took the uh, cities that uh, the cities that had belonged to the Philistines, never taken by Judah, that he defeated the Philistines, took those cities, and again fortified them. And so even though he was a good king, we know that the scripture tells us that he left those high places, as well as his son Jothan, for 68 years the people were burning incense and committing immorality in those high places, in those wooden groves. And I want to remind us that in our lives, it's very important that we take those high places, those places of temptation, 
out of our lives. And it's Hezekiah that's going to come on the scene that he gets rid of those high places. And that's where we see true revival that comes into the land. So here's Ahaz. He comes on the scene, terrible king. And during this time, the Assyrians are becoming the, the powerhouse of, of the region. They are flexing their muscles. They're starting to make their way southward. And so here is Syria and here is Israel. They come together and they want to come against Ahaz. Matter of fact, in chapter 7, that here is Ahaz. He's very much terrified. Uh, the people of Jerusalem and Judah are terrified terrified because of this alliance that Pekah, the king of Syria, and uh, Reason, the king of Israel, they are going to come against Ahaz, try to kill him, and set up their own king on the throne. So in chapter 7, as we looked last time, it was Isaiah told, you go and see Ahaz and tell him that this attack is not going to happen. Matter of fact, these guys are just blowing smoke. Within two years, the king of Syria is going to be killed, and it's going to come to nothing. And Ahaz, if you do not believe the word of the Lord, you will not be established. And again, I want to remind us at this time in our study that it's very important that you and I be established in his promises and in his word. Because Ahaz, who wasn't right with the Lord, he's you know, trying to figure out what to do. He's full of fear. He won't believe the word of the Lord. Uh, he's going to try to make this alliance with Assyria, uh, not trusting the Lord. When the Lord has told him, you know what, it's not going to happen. This attack against you. And Ahaz, if you won't believe me, then God's going to give you a sign. And that is the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And we are to be reminded that as we believe the word of the Lord and know that we have the presence of the Lord, that you will be established in your life. It's kind of like what Jesus said there at the end of the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount that he said that you and I are to be like the wise one who hears these sayings of mine and does them. He's likened to the one who builds his house upon the solid rock. And when the storm comes, that is when we are gripped with fear, when we go through the trials and difficulties of life, that house is able to stand. And you will be established and you will be able to stand in your hour of difficulty, in your hour of, you know, where you don't know what to do because you have the promise of his presence. Emmanuel, God is with us. And he promised he will never leave you or forsake you. And we have his promises given to us that he is going to work. And we can stand on those promises. And we can be established as we go through life, even through the trials. But Ahaz isn't going to believe the word of the Lord. And so we see that Isaiah here, he's continuing to, to, to prophesy, to bring this word to Ahaz, to a nation that has turned away from the Lord. Let's pick it up in chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll. And write on it a man's pen concerning Mehashala Hashbaz. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah there in verse 2 mentioned. In verse 3, and then I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, call his name Mehashala Hashbaz. And so this prophecy continuing from chapter 7. 
Isaiah told Ahaz that this attack from Syria and Israel is not going to happen. They're not going to kill you. So Isaiah is writing down the prophecy on a scroll. And here a long name is given in verse 3 that his second son, you recall that his, his first son was to go with him. His first son's name that we saw in uh, chapter 7, Shir Shehab. Uh, how would you like to have that name? But then it gets worse, Mahashala Hashbaz. So we do have some ladies in the church that are with child. So if you're looking for a good, strong biblical name, that may be something to consider. But, but here, these names of Isaiah, his sons, are actually a message to the nation. And we're going to see as we continue on. And here, Isaiah telling, you know, these guys, write this prophecy down. Of course, we know two witnesses that are mentioned here, and that is Uriah and then Zechariah. Don't think of Zechariah, uh, the prophet of the Old Testament that wrote the book of Zechariah, an amazing book that we'll get to as we continue through the Old Testament. But that Zechariah came years later after the Babylonian captivity. And so here is, is Uriah, Zechariah, writing this down. Of course, two witnesses were appointed to establish this prophecy as Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And here, as Isaiah has a second son, uh, Mahashala Hashbag, uh, his name actually means uh, speed to the spoil and hurry to the plunder. And you see, that's what's going to happen with the Assyrians coming into Israel, taking away the ten northern tribes, and then eventually trying to come into Judah until they come against Jerusalem. They move very quickly. They came to take the spoils and, and the plunder. And so here is, is this prophecy continuing here for before the child should have knowledge, verse 4, to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. And so what's going to happen here is within a couple years by uh, this child being born and uh, by the time that he can talk and say mom and dad that the king of Syria is going to be killed. The riches of Damascus is going to be taken again by the Assyrians. And that's exactly what happened. Two years within this prophecy that we discussed last week in chapter 7, here comes piglash Pilizer. Uh, he's the king of Assyria. He comes to Damascus, and he kills the king of Syria. He takes over Damascus and takes over Syria. And actually, as he's there, we know from 2 Kings chapter 16 that Ahaz, listen... Ahaz, instead of going to the Lord and believing the word of the Lord and being established in the Lord, he's trying to figure things out in his own understanding. And in his rebellion against the Lord, what he does is he makes a peace treaty with the Assyrians. He sends some of the gold and silver from the temple up to Tiglath-Pileser and, and tries to make peace with him. And Tiglath-Pileser, when he ends up killing the king of Syria up north, that he's sitting on the throne there in Damascus, Ahaz, according to 2 Kings chapter 16, goes up to visit him. And when he goes and visits him, he noticed that uh, the king of Assyria is burning incense to this idol that he had there. And Ahaz looked at it and said, I like that idol. I'm going to call for my priest to make a copy of it. And then we can put it in our temple in Jerusalem. And that's what he does. 
So Ahaz not trusting the Lord. And this prophecy that is given out of God's mercy that this attack isn't going to come against you, Ahaz. But don't think that you're off the hook. Because God is going to deal with you and deal with the rebellious people that is going to uh, continue here. And as we read in verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh, that flow softly, and rejoice in reason and in Ramalia's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty. The king of Assyria in all his glory, he will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So Shiola is flows from that stream from Mount Zion and the people of Jerusalem used it as a water source. Later on, it would go into a collection in a pool that Hezekiah ends up building. He ends up building a, a tunnel where the waters of Shiloh, which means peace, is going to meet the Gihon Springs and then collect in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And here is the Lord saying something very important for us to consider here tonight. You won't come to the waters of Shiloh, peace. You won't come to that, you know, fresh water that flows softly, but you go to Assyria and know this, that the rivers of Assyria, it's going to be like the rivers overflowing that's going to engulf the house of Israel is going to engulf Judah as the water is going to come up to your necks and you're looking to them. It's going to be like the rivers that flood. They're going to overflow as they come and attack Syria and Israel and eventually come into Judah and not completely engulf Judah because we're going to see that the Lord's going to intervene. We'll see that later in chapter 37. But why are you trusting in them? It's like Isaiah, like the Lord is puzzled, kind of baffled. Why won't you come to the fresh waters that will give you peace? Why are you looking to the Assyrians? Matter of fact, you might recall at the end of chapter 7 that the prophecy included that not only the rivers of the Assyrians, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers up north there, but also the rivers of Egypt are going to come and what is a land that produce and was prosperous for you is going to end up being dry and it's going to do you in. It's going to squeeze you. Egypt is a picture of the world. The Assyrians, the enemy. And in our own lives, you see the world comes in and against us and the enemy comes against us and squeezes us in our lives. And we need to go to the one who stood there in Jerusalem, not far from this pool's Shiloham sent Shiloh, which means peace. The one who is called the Prince of Peace stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost is going to flow torrents of living water. He told that Samaritan woman there in John chapter 4, you drink of this well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. The invitation is given to the people, once again, God's people here. 
that you're looking to the Assyrians. You know, here is Ahaz. He makes a peace treaty with the king of Assyria, Piglath-Pileser, and and he comes against Syria, but he's going to keep making his way towards Israel and then eventually towards Judah. And we're going to see that Hezekiah, who was a great king, he was one that brought revival to the land that is the son of Ahaz. And when he's ruling, he hears that the Assyrians are marching into Judah, coming towards Jerusalem. So initially out of fear, because he's fearful of the Assyrians, the Assyrians were brutal. They tortured people. They killed whole villages. They would skin you alive. They did all kinds of terrible things. So Hezekiah is fearful. He does the same thing that dad did. He took the gold from the temple off the doorposts and and wherever he could find it. And he pays off Shanacharib at that time, who is the king of Assyria, and says, please don't attack. Shanacharib takes the goods, but he kept coming towards Jerusalem. And Hezekiah would eventually learn his lesson as Shennacherib surrounded Jerusalem. Most of you know the story, hurling threats at Hezekiah. Who's this God of yours that you're telling the people to trust in? Your God cannot stop us. None of the other gods of the other nations have been able to do that. And it was at that time that Hezekiah, he turned to the Lord and and him and the elders began to pray and fast. And of course, the Lord sent an angel to destroy the Assyrian army. Again, we'll look at that more carefully. And I want to remind us, don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. And don't look to Egypt, the world. As Christians, we have a tendency to do that. And I see too many Christians do that. That they look to the philosophy of the world and the ways of the world, Egypt. Matter of fact, we're going to see here that the rebuke is going to be given to Israel. When you look at uh, the, the reign uh, at this time of the king of, of Israel, as you look at 2 Kings chapter 17, Hosea comes on the scene. He's the king of Israel. He's a wicked king. And, and there he's paying tribute to the king of Assyria. But then they found out that he was trying to get the Egyptians involved to help them. And the Lord is saying, we'll see throughout Isaiah, the Egyptians aren't going to help you. Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for they take counsel, but not of me. And you go to Egypt, and those fast Arabian horses are not going to help you. And the Assyrians, you can try to pay off the enemy. You can try to compromise, listen, with the enemy, because you're full of fear. And you're thinking, if I can just get the heat off of me, And you take what belongs to the Lord and you compromise it. And know that the enemy is going to keep coming at you. He'll take the goods. But he's going to keep coming at you to do you in and to wipe you out. And here is the Lord. Here is Isaiah, puzzled, perplexed. Why don't you come to the fresh waters and the living waters of Shiloh, peace? Why don't you come back to the Lord? You know, why don't we, as Christians, get away with the Lord to really spend time with Him and to to hear Him and to listen to Him and to go to Him? Because He's the one that has the living waters. He's the one that desires to give you abundant life. He is your peace. You're not going to find it in the world, and you're not going to find it in Egypt. You're not going to find it 
with the enemy who's telling you to compromise. It's only found in Jesus Christ. We will do so many things. We'll get online. We'll go on social media and spend hours on that. You know, we'll listen to Oprah and Dr. Phil and all this other stuff, but we won't get away with the Lord. Why do we do that? And perhaps the Lord is saying to some of us here tonight that I want you to get away with me and allow me to minister to you. And how I desire so much to give that message because I'm a little bit older than, than some of you that are younger. And I just want to let you know, especially for you who are younger, but for all of us, that this world is going to cheat you. What we are going to see this Sunday is we're going to see that Jesus goes on his civil trials. He's going to go before Pilate. And what we're going to see is Pilate is going to compromise. He's full of fear. He's fearing the people. He's undecisive. He, he, he can't make up his mind. He acquits Jesus three times, but yet he gives in to the voices of the crowds saying, crucify him. And he compromises and has Jesus scourged and then taken off to Calvary. Listen, whatever you compromise concerning Jesus because you think that you're going to get something that's going to help you. And that's what Pilate did. He thought, you know what? If I have Jesus scourged and then put to Calvary, given to the voices of the people, I got to do that because I don't want to lose my political power. And I don't want to, you know, you know I, I want to wash my hands of this. I want Jesus off of my hands. He's on the political hot seat from Tiberius, and so he gives in to the voices of the world. And listen, if you compromise anything concerning Jesus and the ways of the Lord to get what the world has to offer you, the voices of the world, or what the enemy is tempting you with, you will not be able to keep it. You know what happened to Pilate? I'll give you the short version. He loses his power. He gets sent back to Rome. Eventually, he is banished, and he ends up killing himself. He tried to keep the peace with the people because he was afraid they were going to riot. He thought, I'll have peace, you know, I'll keep my power. He didn't get to keep any of it, and he ends up, at the end of his life, losing it in a very disastrous way. You know, I, I, I'm thankful to, to Sue, um, my wife. I wasn't expecting this at all. The, the cake that's out there, you know, 25 years ago today, I was ordained as a pastor. And so a little thank you, yeah. And praise God. Praise God. In 25 years, I was thinking, man, 25 years, so wonder I'm feeling old and tired. <laughs> But it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. It, it's been such a, a venture of faith. And, and the glory goes to the Lord. And oftentimes I think, Lord, why me? When I get together with other pastors, you know, I get together with guys that the Lord is using in a mighty way. Paul the Apostle said, I'm the least of the apostles. And I really, truly feel I'm the least of the pastors. That, that it's a testimony to you that if he can use me, he can use you. He really can. And I know why he chose me, because he chooses the foolish things of the world. 
to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to put down the strong. And the things that are not to bring the not to things that are that no man can glory in his presence. The glory goes to the Lord. I don't know why he's chose me. I just rejoice in it. And to think that he could ever use somebody like me, you know, a ragtag renegade, that when I was ordained 25 years ago, I knew nothing about nothing concerning ministry. Truly, I didn't. And what the Lord has allowed me to do, I don't talk a lot about my ministry. I don't talk a lot about it with you guys because I want to focus on Jesus and I want to be faithful to teach the word of God. I don't want ever to be about me. But what the Lord has been able to do, I look back and it's, it's just, it's true what Paul said, that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And he's allowed me to do some pretty incredible stuff that I look back and I think, Lord, how these doors got open, I don't know. He's, he's allowed me to go to the mission field. He's allowed me to be at ground zero ministering to New York City police officers after the towers fell. He's allowed me to go to South Sudan and, and help train the, the chaplains of the Southern Sudanese Army in a war zone. He's allowed me to be a police chaplain that, that rides with the SWAT team. He's allowed me to do things that I never dreamt that I would ever be able to do, to, to be on live radio, to be able to start a church and, and watch it go from just a handful of people in my living room to what the Lord has done today. And I am so grateful, and I look back and I think, Lord, you're so good. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because he wants to work in your life. Oh, he's not going to call all of you to be a pastor, but he wants to work in your life as you lead your family. And as you continue providing for them and in your business, whatever ministry that the Lord has given to you, and especially for you who are young, listen, I know the polls are out there and they're they're out there as you're beginning to be independent and, and there's a lot of things out there that seem to be fun and, but they will pull you away from the Lord and listen even as Isaiah was saying here in chapter 7 and going into chapter 8 it's going to leave you dry and it's going to cheat you and rip you off go to the living waters because the world is not going to be where it's at and compromising concerning Jesus. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask and think. He wants to do that work in your life. Don't let the world cheat you. Because this world and the enemy is going to do that to do you in, come against you, to squeeze you, and to wipe you out and to let you feel hopeless like God's people are going to end up feeling. You have the living waters. You have the Lord who wants to work good in your life, who wants to provide, and it's day by day walking with him, looking to him. And you will not have that abundant life that he desires for you if you compromise in any way and go after the world, live for the world, 
appease the enemy, whatever it may be. You will not be able to keep that which you're trying to gain when it comes to compromising with Jesus. And I think that it's a God that's brokenhearted that is saying these words through Isaiah to a nation, Shiloh, I'm your peace. The fresh waters, come and drink. But you're going to the, what seems to be the rivers of Assyria. They're going to overtake you. You will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Verse 9, give ear all you from far countries. Gird yourself, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourself and be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. In other words, these alliances with man's wisdom and ways not going to stand, but it's going to end up breaking you. It's going to break you and tear you down. You are to look to God, who says, I'm your Emmanuel. God is with us. We're coming to the holiday season, aren't we? And, and I love the Christmas story. We know it by heart, don't we? But... You know, the people were very much afraid at that time. And, and as Jesus was born, we know that it was the angel that came to the shepherds who were afraid. He said, I bring you tidings of great joy that will be to all peoples, not just to you in Israel, for in the city of David, a Savior who is born, Christ the Lord. His name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And for you that are here tonight, you're wondering what the future holds or you're afraid because of certain circumstance that you face, that there's good news. Emmanuel, God is with us. And we can go so easily to the ways of the world and the counsel of the world and here in verse 10, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And then in verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. He's talking to Israel and to Judah as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 15, and many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. If you fear God, you need not fear man. And so he's saying here, you come, he will be your sanctuary. If you come to him, he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's kind of interesting because as you go to Corinthians, when Paul began to write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, but we preach Christ crucified. Matter of fact, Paul says in that epistle, I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. When you live the gospel and as you give to gospel to others, it is a stumbling to those of the world. It stumbles others, doesn't it? You face that. That's why people get hostile towards you and dismiss you and scoff at you. 
But Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believes. There's power in the, in the gospel. Never be ashamed of the gospel. And know that there are those who are going to be stumbled by it. And even Jesus, as he's talking to the religious leaders, you recall there in, in Luke chapter 20, that he's addressing the religious leaders. And he tells them that parable, the wicked vine dressers. And then he says to them, as he quotes from Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken by but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. In other words, that he's quoting, first of all, from Psalm 118, but then he says that stone that falls on the stone is going to be broken. That's what Isaiah is saying here. As Matthew borrows from it, you'll be broken in pieces. You'll be broken in pieces. The stone is stumbling. And in Daniel chapter 2, that Daniel, he, he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream of that statue that represents man's governments from the time of Babylon to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then that stone hits the image in the feet and the image crumbles and it turns to dust. And then it blows away and the rock grows. And of course, it speaks of the kingdom of God that will last forever. Listen, this world is going to go away. And you've noticed how even the last couple months since this summer that we've gone through some dark times in our nation with major hurricanes that have happened, the terrible shooting in Las Vegas. We've seen the fires go through Santa Rosa. That was absolutely incredible. The destruction. As we saw yesterday, a terrorist attack on New York and lower Manhattan. And unfortunately, I think we're going to see more. And how our nation needs Jesus Christ in, in a revival. And we need to be praying. And the Lord desires to work in our midst if we turn to him. And he desires to work in, in your life. But if we turn to the world and compromise will be broken in pieces. And he says, Blind up the test, bind up the testimony, verse 16, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. And here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel and from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? We know that the people were seeking all the occultic kinds of things, mediums and wizards and dead spirits and, and how far they were from God. And they were not seeking him. They were seeking the darkness and not the light amazing. I've talked to Christians. Perhaps they say they're Christians. You've maybe talked to them. They're all interested in tarot cards and called a psychic hotline and stupid things like that. When we are told how deceptive and dark that it is and to turn away from those things, a Christian has no business messing around with those things. And what Isaiah is saying, you can turn to those things, but you're going to end up in the dark.
And then in verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, get back to the Bible, get back to the word. If it is not according to the word, it is false and you'll be in the dark. You will be in the dark. And that's what's going to take place. Not because Pastor Jeff says so, but the word of the Lord says so. And they will pass through it hard, pressed, and hungry, and it shall be, happen when they are hungry. They, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. And then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. You know, as we go into chapter 9, again, just kind of continuing the flow that we're going to see that here is Isaiah giving some heavy words that if it isn't according to the law, to the testimony, to the word of God, it is dark and it's going to break you in pieces. And why do you seek the world? And why are you seeking these occultic kinds of things? And, and here Isaiah, you know, and, and the, 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 the scribes are writing this down, inspired by God. Turn back. Come to the living waters of Shiloh. Come to the light and get out of the darkness. And you and I, as we see the darkness all around us, that's why I encourage you. That's why I encourage you. Get this Calvary Chapel magazine. And it's so encouraging because the dark things that have happened and what the Christians are doing in Puerto Rico, in California, in Las Vegas, and in Houston. And it encourages me because light is going forth and we're able to give that light as well to minister to others. There was somebody from our church, Dennis Hoshiko, many of you know him. He's been coming here for 20 years. And he went down to Houston to help out with feeding there at Calvary Chapel, Houston. And he was telling me about his trip. And he went down and he took some supplies down there. And he felt, you know, led by the Lord to do that. And he was there helping feeding. And as he's telling me, he was talking to one particular um, single mom that had um, a daughter. And she wasn't a Christian. And Dennis just ministered to her, invited her to church. She thought, no, nah, I'm not going to come. But when Dennis was there on that Sunday, as the invitation came out for people to come and accept Jesus, to, to respond to the gospel, here comes this lady and her daughter down to the front. All because he was led by the Lord, obedient to the Lord, and he drove all that way down there because he was led to do that. And he spent time with one single mom who had a child, a divine appointment, and he brought light to the darkness. And you have opportunity to do the same thing. You know, sometimes we think, oh, Lord, you know, we, we want spectacular things to happen and, you know, exciting and dynamic. Just listen. Just day by day, being sensitive to his leading. And you don't know what divine appointments that he has for you. And the light to bring into the darkness of people's lives. And you may not go to Puerto Rico and you may not go to Houston or out to Santa Rosa in California. But the Lord is going to send you somewhere to bring truth and light into people's life. And it is a privilege to be used in that way in the day in which we're living in. Because there's a lot of darkness out there, isn't it? And we can bring them to the light and the truth of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. As we stop here, Lord, we, we thank you for this chapter and this time in your word. And, oh, Lord, that, that we would 
that we would come to the living waters, Shiloa, to your peace, to be refreshed by you. Lord, to hear from you, be established in you and your word. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't try to find it in the world. Compromise. Be pulled into that which the voices of men, the voices of Egypt, the council of Egypt, uh, it's just going to leave us broken. And there may be pleasure for a season. There may be a thought of this is going to make it easier. But you'll be broken in pieces. And we hear the word of the Lord. So I pray that we would come to you and spend time with you and look to you. Back to the word, back to, the, to what you declare to us through your word and be established in it. And to know that you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And knowing that you desire to not withhold anything good from us because you did not spare your son. You've given us the very best. And if we're not receiving it right now, it's because, Lord, you're working in our lives. You may have something better. What we think is good may be not good for us, but we can trust that you're not going to withhold anything good because you've given us your son. Even as Romans 8, as, as, as Travis read from it, we continue and we read that promise that you're working for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes and not withholding anything good, the one who did not spare his own son. And that's why we come to the communion table tonight, to remember what Jesus did in going to the cross for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. So I pray that right now as we hand out the communion elements, that it would be time of worship and a time of coming to you, Lord, and saying, I want to come to the peaceful waters, the living waters that you have to offer. Even as Jesus said, come and eat and drink of me, and you won't thirst and you won't hunger that we would be satisfied in you and knowing you and walking closely with you. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word given to us.